Thank you for checking out this episode on Really Dicey's Game Master podcast. You can see the video version of this discussion on YouTube, as well as more content on reallydicey.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for checking out this episode of Really Dicey. This is Manny. I'm here with Matt. I'm here with Scott, from the classic comic collector. Um, and uh, we have a, a, our new contributor, uh, Peter. Welcome to the team. Today in this uh, Game Masters panel, we're going to talk about games of exploration. Um, so I will have passes to Matt and we will begin the discussion. Okay, so exploration uh, has been a part of RPGs from the very beginning. In fact, um, in, in this game, Dungeons and Dragons Basics, the character sheet has a section for places explored. When it gives examples of types of adventures, scenarios they're called, the first example they give is exploring the unknown. And in fact, the first um, starter module included with the box set was In Search of the Unknown. Later it became Keep of the Borderlands, but first it was In Search of the Unknown. So the game was designed around what we would call the dungeon crawl. Get all your adventures together and you crawl through a dungeon, you're exploring a dungeon. In 1980, when the D&D Expert set came out, they introduced wilderness adventures, what would become called hex crawls based on the battle maps people used. And the book gave tips on designing uh, the wilderness, mapping the wilderness, exploring it, uh, using wandering monsters. There were, there were rules for getting lost. There was some GM advice um, on running hex crawls. Mm -hmm. Their basic advice here was don't be a slave to what you rolled in the random chart. <laughs> and um, the, the uh, basic set involved a sample wilderness adventure. Uh, so that's what we would call the hex crawl. Later, we got something called a point crawl, uh, which you see in games like uh, ultraviolet grasslands. Point crawl is like a hex crawl, except instead of your characters wandering around in the wilderness, from hex to hex, they move from point of interest to point of interest. So there's less time spent in the middle. Now, if, you're, if you're starting out at you know, the, the small village and the next place you end up is, is the volcano, the game just kind of speeds you along there. So that's called a point crawl. So that's a basic idea of um, a game of exploration. They've shown up in all sorts of different games. But I'm interested um, to hear what you guys think. What, in your opinion, is an exploration game? And what do you enjoy about them? Well, I, I think um, what makes exploration games different from like other types of role playing is that it's not as story driven, at least in my opinion. Um, so when I say about that is that I'm not talking about like, um, um, you know, uh, so some some adventures are are put together because of uh, either political reasons or or something going on in town that you're trying to solve. When I when I think of games exploration, I'm thinking about okay, I have a dungeon, I have a dungeon ready to play. Who's going to go down there and try to find treasure and possibly die over and over again for it? That's what I think about exploration treasure uh, adventures, where you're you're going down there and you're trying to solve through riddles, um, uh, avoid traps. Uh, fight the, the toughest monsters so you can get your ring of power or some other some other item. Peter, what about you? Basically the same, but um, I tend to um, stray towards um, uh, being more like, um, I guess, character oriented when it comes to like exploration games. 
And um, the way that I will usually approach it is I will like ask my players like, okay, what kind of things do you want to do? Like, what do you want to see kind of when I, when I, when I do an exploration game? So I kind of put it like um, uh, the, the ball's kind of in their court. I know that there's like a really um, popular style of play called West Marches that's kind of like this. And I kind of do something similar. Um, I will usually make it, um, um, you know, like uh, Emmanuel was just saying right now that it's, um, it's less story driven. Um, and I agree with that. I think that um, exploration games tend to be more character driven. So it's tied in with maybe the, the uh, character's backstory or the group's backstory. Um, um, in games like GURPS where you have like advantages and disadvantages, you might tie in um, um, their advantages or disadvantages into the, into the storyline, like why they're exploring. Um, enemies is one of my favorite. Like if somebody like has an enemy, I love making it like, okay, yeah. So at the end of this dungeon or at the end of this, you know, this whole thing is this person that you're looking for, or it just so happens that this is a guy who's connected to the guy kind of, <laughs> you know, type of yeah, thing, yeah. you know? So that, that, that's, that's how I tend to go, uh, go about it. It's like a, what I call direct engagement, which is, you know, with, with the players, you know, with the player characters pretty much. What about you, Scott? Uh, well, it's interesting uh, for me, uh, just piggybacking on what they were saying, um, what Peter was just saying, when it comes to dungeon crawling, I think you, you can make it character driven, um, I, I do think you can also make both dungeon crawls and the hex crawls. You're talking about sort of the outdoor exploring into story driven, but it, it puts a much bigger burden on the dungeon master. I just got a couple examples from our gameplay that I remember very distinctly in terms of a character driven. We did an adventure where we're actually going through the map from keep on the borderlands with a group of characters that had, we all had dreams and we showed up there but my character was specifically looking for a person. So I was looking for this, the, this uh, child that I was supposed to be keeping watch over that had been kidnapped and I thought she was in this dungeon. So it was a very sort of story, character-driven exploration of the dungeon. And the other characters all had their own reasons for being exploring the dungeon as well. So that's a very character-driven exploration. But on the flip side, I remember a game we played where we were basically, we were part of a group on these ships that we went to this new continent and we were trying to establish like, like a colony there. And so there's a whole open continent of unexplored areas that we had to literally go out and explore and map. And we would come into contact with uh, different civilizations and races and monsters and whatever we found there. And that's something where uh, the dungeon master can plant all sorts of different seeds for storylines and then just based on which ones we happen to run into as we explore can then sort of develop those out from there but it does create a, a bigger burden initially on the dungeon master to to plan out like all these potential adventures that you may not even actually get to depending on where they go. Yeah, that, yeah, that's absolutely true. I don't know if it's necessary, but just to clarify to the viewers, um, I was just using the map from the Keep of the Borderlands. We weren't playing Keep of the Borderlands. I'm just lazy and recycle old maps. <laughs> I, I think I think everyone does that. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, Emmanuel and I were talking about that last night because we were talking about like, wait, like I, I like to create my own stuff, but that takes a lot of work, you know? And so you end up just having to use modules, you know, but the whole reason they're called modules is because they are modular. You, you exactly. basically use the parts that, okay, this will fit and I can use this city map or I can use this dungeon map, you know, but you're not actually playing that adventure. 
I I've done that a lot. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not lazy at all. It's 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 that it's, it's called ingenuity. <laughs> so following up, uh, Scott makes a nice segue. How do you run a game of exploration? What do you do? Um, to facilitate that and uh, i'm just just to pick up on something that that scott said um that is exactly how i run the game um i try to sprinkle the game with just enough information to one wet the players appetites and two give me something to improvise if they go and they go in that direction but i i don't map out everything. I don't, I, I don't fully develop everything because I can't. I don't have that kind of time. Um, and it's also really heartbreaking to spend, you know, two days on a castle and, and they at the last minute they decide to go over there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't go there. So um, I make just enough information to whet their appetite. And if they go there, I kind of improvise my way through the end of the session. And then between sessions, I will quickly fill in the details of where they are. So um, I'm really kind of just filling in the map one step ahead of the players. Right, right. Um, which, which, by the way, is something you don't want to tell the players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they will have this illusion that you've created this entire continent for them, and, and uh, you, you just kind of smile and nod, and you, and you let them have that. Let them think that you've created an entire world and really what you have is a little, little fog of war that's following them around and you're just ahead of them. Mm -hmm. If I could just jump on, onto that. Um, yeah. There was one game that I remember very clearly, one of the first ones that I was DMing for our group back in the day where I had planned out this gigantic dungeon and I had made all these maps with like 120 rooms and I had all the encounters and everything very detailed. And there was one part where a, like a stairwell went down there and I hadn't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> and the group managed to go directly right past all of the other rooms, made all the choices to go right down the stairwell into the area that I hadn't mapped, bypassed a hundred rooms I had planned out and I had to just make stuff up. And um, if I was doing that now, what I would almost do is design a hundred rooms and then but not put them in a particular order. So whenever they go into the next room, I can just pick one of those rooms, like, like a modular sort of like dungeon and slap it down there. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> that would like, I just, in retrospect, if I had just taken room 35 and moved it to where room 140 was supposed to be, no yeah. problem. But in the moment I hadn't planned for that. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I didn't draw, I didn't plan this part out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In situations like that is when I actually, because I tend to stay away from using random encounter tables. Like usually I know, like um, I, I usually have like a, like a basic storyline set up and I know like where I want things to go. If the players go somewhere else, that's when I'll use random encounter tables, you know? So it's like if they veer off, then it's like, okay, yeah, this is where, you know, I guess I'll, like, like uh, Scott just said, make things up. But I, I tend to not like make things up, make things up. I tend to, like I said, I use, uh, that's when I use the random encounter tables, you know, and uh, I treat it like, like, even if they're in a city, if they decide to say, go to another part of the city that I hadn't planned on, I treat it almost like wilderness, you know, kind of, you know, so, so kind of like what, what, I, what I do is like, like, let's say like in a massive city like New York, right, which is kind of like cities within cities. 
I like I have a campaign that I'm putting together that's like set in uh, New York City's Chinatown, you know, and I know what I'm what's going on in there. So I kind of like treat Chinatown like that's the town, so to speak, you know, and then everything outside of Chinatown, you know, is wilderness. And that's where I'll use my, my, my random encounter tables. And, you know, I might like, you know, have like plot threads. Usually I have like something like a B plot. Like my B plot is usually like my exploration. Okay. You know, plot. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if they go that way, then okay, yeah, then we're exploring now, you know. I just want to add um from my personal experience and kind of kind of um um what you call it, uh um going by what what Scott and Peter have said already. Um so Tomb of Annihilation, um, uh, which is the uh spiritual successor to Tomb of Horrors. Uh I really like this adventure because at the the later half deals with directly with the tomb and everything about the tomb is about the tomb uh, so it's great for uh game masters and dungeon masters to focus on the 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 uh, this setting um uh, very well i didn't have to do have to worry about any um uh changes that the characters might have done you know like if they want to go this way or away it didn't matter because everything led back to the tomb um so if they they veered away it just helps them find uh, a better solution to their to the riddles and and passageways that they need to go to to get to the end the one I had the biggest trouble with is uh, this one. Um, uh, used to be known as Undermount, and now it's known as the uh, Dungeon of Mad Mage. And what I don't like about it is that there's so many side quests um, in this dungeon. Uh, it, it's it's distracting because um, then I've had too many times where players wanted to go in many different avenues. For example, in one of the levels, um, there's a way they could go to the uh, the Undercity of Waterdeep, uh, which is doesn't have, there's no maps or any encounters for it at all. It's just there's a passageway there. And of course, when they see uh, the fact that there's these like rogues, rogue guilds around the, this mega dungeon where there should be nothing but monsters there, they ask questions like, okay, where did they come from? And then when they realize they come from this undersea, they're like, okay, maybe we should view it over there. Maybe we can find some magic items or, or find some NPCs to talk to. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure a way to <laughs> make that not exist anymore. So to, to view everything back to the dungeon. Um, so I, I think really important for for uh, dungeon makers out there to just try to keep the goal focused. Uh, too many side quests, I think, really hurt the adventure. Unless, of course, you're prepared for that in some way. If you're running a game of exploration, a couple of things could help. Um, one would be to use a game or to import some travel rules, some rules that actually deal with the journey supplies, logistics, that sort of thing. Um, how detailed do you want to get? Depends on the kind of game that your group wants. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I know a lot of people are, are, are turned off by any sort of log logistics. But um, on the other hand, it does allow your characters to make meaningful choices about things. They can't just go forever. They'll run out of food. Um, if they find some treasure, they have to decide what they're going to take and what they're going to leave. Um, they have to they have to deal with the weather, um, and they have to make interesting choices about how visible they're going to be when they're traveling. Uh, are, are, you know, what's it like? Are there bandits in this area? Are the roads pretty secure? What kind of monsters are there? That sort of thing. So um, I think some sort of travel rules would be helpful in, in whatever game you're using. Um, another thing I like to do is I love random charts, not necessarily to determine exactly what I'm going to do, 
but to kind of provide inspiration. Usually what ends up happening is I roll on some random charts and then I ignore some of what I rolled. <laughs> like, oh, well, I rolled a four. Actually, it would have been more interesting if I rolled a five. Why do I do that? Because, I mean, no one's watching you. No one, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you change things. A good set of random generators uh, for ruins or uh, cities or, uh, you know, even just weather or, or encounters or planets, you know, or, you know, because exploration games can be space-based. Mm-hmm. Oh, big time, big time. Games um, that are all about exploration. Uh, The other thing I think is useful uh, in an exploration game is to reward exploration. So both in and out of character. So out of character, of course, you can give experience points for it. You you know, you might want to change that. Um, They might actually gain experience points for discovering something interesting or something about the setting. In character, they can, you know, the the explorations can actually help the characters, right? They can, obviously, they can find treasure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can find knowledge. They can find fame, right? If, if, if you're actually playing explorers, or let's say you're actually playing a group of cartographers who are out to, to find the Northwest Passage, if you discover that and you come back with the maps, you're famous. So the I, game... I'm sorry, go ahead. Like, I was just going to say the game rewards exploration. Right. No, um, I think also along the lines of like what I was saying before about tying in the characters' backstories, um, you, you can advance their backstory. You know what I'm saying? Also, that, that, could, be, that could be a reward in itself. You yeah. know, and also it keeps them engaged because this is, it's, a, it's personal, so to speak. This has to do with them. So mm-hmm. the further along they go, they're getting closer to, you know, the guy, you know, <laughs> whoever he is, whatever it is that he did, you know, they're getting closer and closer to that person or to that thing that they're that they're seeking that that's central to their character. Yeah. So that, that could be a reward also. There is a one specific thing that I wanted to bring up and get you get your opinions on. Um, I have seen and played games where um, the GM shares power with the players about what's going to happen. Um, like I, I've, I've played in games where <clears throat> before we explored the, the haunted forest, the GM says, okay, each of you name one true thing about the forest and I'll work it into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've seen mechanics like that where I've seen games where the GM make up, makes up everything. Mm-hmm. I've seen games where the GM and the players work together to make up stuff. And I've seen games where the game makes it up. It re- the, the whole thing is rolling on charts. And uh, I'm curious uh, which, uh, which method you like and why. I, I, I like the whole, um, uh, you know, the GM making things up. And that's probably because I'm a control freak, you know, but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but um, I also like to, um, I like to discuss what, or I've, I've gotten more into the habit of trying to discuss with my players, like, Okay, like, what are you interested in? What do you want to see? You know, okay. and you know that 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 kind of a thing. Like, like, uh, what kind of a, or like, I'll have like, like, usually my world is fleshed out because I'm really into world building, which you know, ends up in a situation where I I end up not playing a lot because I'm too busy world building. I get I get caught up in that a lot. <laughs> but um, um, usually what I'll have is like my world, and then I will sh- show my players. Okay, this is this is my world. This is what's going on. 
what kind of things are you interested in? What kind of campaign do you want to play? Is, is how I usually go about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think for me, uh, I think I'm a lot like Peter. I'm also a bit of a control freak um, when it comes to the game. Like I, I, I to me, it's, it's very important. I keep things balanced. So I always have to watch out for that. Um, Cause sometimes players will say something outrageous as an idea. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's see how can I work this in uh, so that it doesn't impede the other players uh, ability to have fun. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. I, I, I think, I think um, what I like to do sometimes is that like, so let's say I have a mystery. I try not to have a, a, a solution that's, that's not, um, bendable is not the right word, um, not flexible enough. Like, so like, so that like, like I'll say, so, like, I'll give a scenario, you know, I'll say, uh, okay, there's a, um, a box that's missing in a, in a house and, and um, um, uh, there's three bodies and let's give us these things. And there's like a, like a dagger and a staff randomly, a broken staff in the middle of the floor. And then I kind of let the, the players kind of piece together what happened and then see if they can solve themselves. And the reason why I do that a lot, because I've noticed that when I have like a, a really good mystery in mind and then I have had the players play it. And I've noticed this, I, I'll use the same scenario like three times with different players. And each one tries to solve it differently. And, and two times you just couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. um, so I realized that I, I, for in those type of instances, um, I try to be flexible with the what the conclusion might be. How about you, Scott? Where do you who do you like to determine what's up there? The dungeon master is basically the answer, and I actually prefer that as a player as well. Um, with the caveat that uh, you know, as a dungeon master, you know, I want to be in communication with my players, maybe not in the moment of doing the adventure but beforehand as to what what their objectives are like what they want what their characters want but what they also want to get out of the game and then plan an adventure with that in mind but for me it, it's difficult to have these sort of games be sort of a democracy uh because i know in and i think matt you're well aware of this a lot of the games that we've played our characters in our group's consistently end up having totally different objectives from each other and the groups often completely fall apart almost immediately as yeah. a result and so having a dungeon master to sort of arbitrate and decide what's going to happen makes that at least possible to play a game when you've got players going in a bunch of different directions so that's sort of a thing where as a player i want the dungeon master to sort of have the control over it i don't want this lunatic over here across the table from me dictating what we're doing in the game, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think it's, I think it's also a good idea for when you have players like that, that like hijack the game, so to speak, um, basically have things like on a time limit, you know? And so it, it just turns into a thing of like, Oh, well, you know, the princess is dead dude, because, you know, you went off and decided that, you know, that you wanted to do your own thing. And so, you know, now they got to deal with the fallout from that because they didn't, you know, succeed in their mission. That, that's usually how I, I, I mitigate that kind of thing happening. Like people know like, okay, yeah, don't, don't mess around too much because Pete will like drop the sky on us. You know, it's usually <laughs> what will happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the opposite end, um, uh, Dungeon Master should know the pulse of their gamers, like know mm -hmm. where st story pulses, like yeah. where what their interests are so so if, if you're playing like a like a hack and slash game but you notice that your players 
tend to want to do like more political stuff, you know, like want to know what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes, maybe mm-hmm. try to make, instead of going against the other kingdom and trying to destroy them, they want to actually uh, work it out politically and, and with social skills and roles and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, then, then, then definitely shift toward that. Um, if, if you're trying to do a game of exploration, uh, especially if there's mystery behind it, definitely I would say let your players know ahead of time, just so that yeah. if you weren't prepared for that, you know, then, you know, you could be, you know, you could be ready. I try to make more than one game. Like I try to have like more than one like possible campaign that we can play and with different levels of like control, you know? So like I'll have something that like, okay, yeah, this is more plot oriented. So it's kind of like on rails, you know? And then you have something that's more sandbox and then something that's completely open where you can do whatever you want, you know? And I'll let them choose from there, you know? And usually it's, it's, it's something in the middle. It's usually something sandboxy. You know, but yeah, that that's how I usually do it. I say, okay, these are your choices of what you can play and stuff, and you know, go from there. I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, say that I prefer it um, when the GM determines uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what people are going to discover, <laughs> um, and I prefer that uh, both as a GM and as a player. Now, as a GM, what I love about a game of exploration um, is twofold. One we've touched on before is the freedom, right? It's a game that doesn't really provide a storyline, but rather hundreds of hooks and possibilities. And I don't know where the game's going to go. It depends on where the players go. Um, so I love that. And um, I also love the surprise of that, you know, because um, when you're the GM, your surprises come from the players and the dice. And so I like a setting that allows them to move around. So, I'm surprised by where the players are going to go in the dice. So I use a lot of random charts. But I don't like the surprise of the players telling me <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> um, but um, on the other side, as a player, uh, you know, I agree with Scott uh, that I, I prefer it when the GM determines what's happening because it's a game of exploration. Exploration, by definition, means I don't know what's out there. I'm going to find out. And if I tell you what's out there, it's not really a surprise. Right. So um, it lacks verisimilitude when the players determine what's going on in the next village. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, th- I think there's a little room for both. So suppose you're coming to the haunted forest. And so instead of asking the players, okay, each of you name one true thing about the forest, you could ask your players, what's a rumor? that you've heard about the forest. Each of you give me a rumor that you've heard about the forest and let the player make that up. And then as a judge master, I can decide whether the rumor is true, partially true or totally false. Mm-hmm. So that gives the players like this little, little bit of control. Like I've heard that, you know, the trees eat you in your sleep. Okay. That's just some crazy drunken story or maybe they do. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So everyone, um, uh, let us know what you like for games when it comes to exploration. Leave them in the comments below. And uh, have a great day. Be safe out there.